Do you want to stop yelling and have your child listen to? Well, I have exciting news for you. If you're hearing this right now, it means that the doors to mindful parenting are open at mindfulparentingcourse.com. This only happens for a limited time, and it may be perfect for you if you want to be that patient, calm parent, but you're afraid of being walked all over, you're losing it, and you want to be that steady, peaceful parent, you don't have a cohesive method, and you take in bad advice like just count to one, two, three. Mindful parenting is an evidence-based system that not only teaches you how to calm your reactivity, but offers you a ton of personal guidance. A lot of other parenting coaches talk about the best way to respond to your child, but guess what? They don't walk you through the research-proven practices that it really takes to create changes that actually last. Mindful Parenting teaches you the specific steps to create cooperative, loving relationships for life. In Mindful Parenting, you can learn how to stay calm, even if you find yourself shouting hourly now. Be present for your child no matter what they're going through. Resolve conflicts easily without yelling or taking away the iPad. Set limits without your child resenting you for days afterward. And build trust between you and your child so that you avoid misery in the teen years. The doors are open now at mindfulparentingcourse.com. Unlike other programs in Mindful Parenting, we offer one-on-one coaching to every member and weekly drop-in coaching sessions. Don't wait anymore. You and your kids are worth leveling up. Go to mindfulparentingcourse.com and join now before the doors close again. That's mindfulparentingcourse.com. I'll see you there. You're listening to the Mindful Mama podcast, episode 106, How to Be a Zen Parent with Todd and Kathy Adams. Welcome to the Mindful Mama podcast. Here, it's about becoming a less irritable, more joyful parent. At Mindful Mama, we know that you cannot give what you do not have. And when you're thriving, when you have calm and peace within, then you can give it to your children. I'm your host, Hunter Clark-Fields, Mindful Mama Mentor. I coach overstressed moms on how to cultivate self-awareness in their daily lives and to take family and life to a new level of peace and cooperation. I've been practicing yoga and mindfulness for over 20 years. I'm the creator of the Mindful Parenting course coming soon. And I'm the mom of two girls who challenge me every day to hone my craft. Trust me. (laughs) Thank you for being here. If this is your first episode, thank you so much for coming and joining the Mindful Mama tribe here for an episode. If you are coming back, thank you especially. It means that we're doing something right here if you're coming back. So I am so glad to connect with you Again, I love this format of the podcast to be right in your ears and to have this connection. I feel like we really get to, you know, there's a personal connection that's really powerful with the podcast. So I'm so excited for today's episode because I love Todd and Kathy. I am proud to be able to call them some friends. We're talking to Todd and Kathy Adams, the hosts of Zen Parenting Radio, and that's a podcast that's been going for seven years, and Kathy Adams is an author of three books. Both Todd and Kathy are speakers. They host a conference, and they are great teachers of mindful parenting, of conscious parenting, Zen parenting, whatever you want to call it, and you're going to see they have so much wisdom 
Our audio quality is a little challenging at times in this interview, but I encourage you to stick with it because what they have to say is so good. Some of my takeaways include how the goal of parenting for them anyway, for Todd, I think is what he said, is to not pass down your baggage to your own children. So that's so cool. You get to use mindfulness to help you see what's coming up in those moments and how they value discussion over discipline. And we talk about what that means and, and the misperceptions sometimes that come up with that. We talk about when our kids are young and how hard it is, you know, and how we need to take care of ourselves, how we need to simplify, right? And you'll get to hear one of my favorite quotes from this episode, and we'll talk more about this. It is not your child's job to make you happy. Whoa, pretty cool, right? I hope that maybe that put some question marks up and you're gonna can't wait to hear what they have to say about that. So we will dive into this episode in a moment, but just before we do, I want to let you know that very, very soon, we are gonna be starting the Mindful Parenting Free Training Week, and it will be a week where we talk about a whole host of issues, the myth that undermines your parenting, why punishment doesn't work. It is a really valuable training. What Ashley said is that since we did it before, she said, since the free training, I'm now reconnecting to my inner needs and using the tools from this training to begin comforting myself. And she said, I love Hunter's laid back, fun loving, easygoing attitude. And she said, I would recommend this training to my friends because it is a great introduction to mindful parenting styles. And Christina said that she is now has a more positive outlook, focusing more on self-care. It was a great reminder of what's important. So I hope you'll join us and hundreds of other moms from all around the world at mindfulparentingcourse.com slash free training. So make sure you head over there and be a part of it. Be a part of this mindful mama movement. And now on to this episode. Todd, Kathy, thank you so much for coming on the Mindful Mama podcast. Thanks for having us. Thanks for having us. I'm so glad you guys are here because you're amazing teachers. And, you know, yours is the only podcast that like a real regular listen to. And I listen to a lot of podcasts and you're, you're my regular peep. So I feel like mm. I know you. Thank you very much. We appreciate that. <laughs> so I've introduced you to the listener, but you are a husband and wife team. You talk about self-awareness. You talk about parenting from a peaceful way. How did you guys get started with the podcast or with this work in general? I know it probably started with you, right, Kathy? Yeah, it did. So I think, what was it? It was like seven or eight years ago, I wrote my first book. It was called The Self-Aware Parent. And I was kind of making the rounds, promoting it. And podcasts weren't a very big deal then, but I went on a podcast called Parenting Unplugged, which has is no longer around, but which two really great people, Todd and Laura Mansfield. And after the interview, we just ended up chatting and really realizing we were on the same page about everything. And they said, you know what? You should do a podcast. You should talk about what you talk about in your books. And their recommendation to me, though, was that I not do it by myself, that I had somebody maybe to talk back and forth with because that was their model. And so I was downstairs doing this interview and having this conversation. And before I even asked Todd, I said to them, oh, I know exactly who to do it with. I want to do this with my husband. So I basically just walked upstairs and said, Todd, I think we're going to do something really fun. And she didn't even consult me. <laughs> 
the reason I knew that Tad would be the perfect person to do this with is even though it started out as my work or kind of the way that my kind of way of being or internal work that I was doing, the conversations that Todd and I had all the time, I mean, before bed or at the kitchen table or when we were in the car, always revolved around these things. Our own individual self-work, his looked different than mine, and he didn't necessarily agree with everything I was doing or vice versa, but we always had these really deep dives. So I knew that it would be interesting in our initial, we don't really use this tagline much anymore, but we said a logical and practical dad and an emotional and spiritual mom. And that's really kind of how it started out. But that was seven years ago. And I think we're kind of more on the same page now. Would you agree, Tess? <laughs> so when you had your first baby and that baby started growing up, you have three daughters. Was your parenting style really different then? Did you shift or change at all along the way? And was it different from the way your parents parented you? Mm. It's definitely different, you know, and I probably parent differently today than I did a year ago. And I'll probably parent different a year from now because kids are not equations to figure out. They're alive human beings that are throw a lot of curveballs at you. So you have to kind of be on your toes. But you talk about how we got parented. One of my favorite things to discuss is that although my parents did the best they could with what they had, they also gave me a lot of their baggage. And my goal as a parent is to not pass my baggage, which I have and I continue to try to work through, down to my kids because my kids are going to get carry their own bags. They're going to, and what do I mean by baggage? I don't know. Just like how would I explain? Uh, your hangups, your challenges, your fears, your dreams, the things that are yours. Instead of saying, okay, now my children need to work through the issues I haven't worked through. Instead, yes. it's I'm going to work through the things that are mine and allow my children, they're going to have their own issues. It's not like you're ever going to raise children who don't have their own struggles because they will just by being human beings. But I'd much rather my children deal with their own decision making rather than deal with the issues of us. Well, and I'll give you a perfect example. We, we have this, this team Zed thing, thing and there was a person out there who had a hard time because their six-year-old, they were having a hard time with some social awkwardness because they thought that the six-year-old should be more polite, more, polite, yeah. more conversational when grown-ups are talking to them. And believe me, I can relate to that because social interactions are an important element of our society. And I want our daughters to be able to do that with a lot of comfort and ease. But when they're six, that's a really hard time to be able to teaching regular manners. And so what I encourage this person who was asking the question is seek inside yourself of what is coming up in you when these social awkward moments happen. Because really, it's not about the six-year-old who's not looking at a grown-up in the eyes when they meet them. Instead, it's really about, you know, how this person is feeling in that moment as the parent. Yeah, the parent feels the social awkwardness. The parent feels that kind of like, well, my child is an offshoot of me. So if my child doesn't look in the eye or is somehow perceived as rude, then that somehow means I'm a bad parent. That's a heavy load and none of it's necessarily true. And that when we say, when we force our child, I'm just using Todd's example. When we say to that six-year-old, you have to talk to that adult, you have to do that. Not, we're not advocating for them. We're trying to make sure we don't feel uncomfortable. Yeah. In other words, we're passing down our bags. Exactly. Yeah, yeah. So that's the question, I guess, like then 
I guess it takes our own self-awareness, but the idea of when do we know when we're passing on our baggage, like mm. that in that moment with that parent who's saying, I want my child to, to be able to talk to parent, you know, talk to adults and, and look them in the eye and things like that. That parent is feeling that discomfort. So is it the discomfort itself? Like, is it our triggers ourselves? Are these the things that tell us, these are the things that tell us when we have stuff that's maybe our own stuff and not necessarily our kids? And how do we discern between? Uh, so it's a very good question. And I think that this can be very tricky because this is going to be different for everybody. One of the reasons that Todd and I, like, or let me just speak for myself, but I also write. But one of the reasons I love to do the podcast is we can really discuss through these nuances because sometimes when you write, if it be a book or an article, people like are looking for a final answer about something. And that's very fine because it's very different depending on who the adult is, who the child is, the age, the home environment. But I think in these situations, I liked your language because a lot of times when we feel the social awkwardness, we can, instead of being feeling ashamed that we're feeling that social awkwardness or beating ourselves up, we can recognize that this is something that is important to us, that we want to make sure that our children have a sense of of self and being when they're with other people. But how we can distinguish between am I doing this for them or am I doing this for me is have we set some kind of timetable and expectation where we've said, you're six years old, you should be able to do this. Or do we just continue to role model it ourselves, how to be socially kind, how to look people in the eye, not only in front of them with other people, but with our own children. And after a situation that maybe is socially awkward for you or for the child to bring it up and say, that seemed like not in a punitive, I'm going to punish you for this, or you have embarrassed me kind of way, because that's just called shame. But that seemed like a really difficult conversation for you, was it? And allowing the child to share how they felt, because children sometimes there are certain people we feel that they should be kind to, but maybe they're not ready. They don't feel safe yet. They don't feel like sharing themselves. And in, if we allow them to make those decisions as they go along, and, and of course, role model and guide, then what we're teaching them is to trust their own intuition and their own sense of being as they grow up. One thing that Todd and I can now say, which people seven years ago said, oh, it's going to be so different when they're teenagers when we started this, our oldest was seven, and now our oldest is 14. My oldest used to be my, and I'm putting this in quotes, shyest kid. You know, the one who I had to sit in gymnastics class with, the one who didn't want to say hello to people. The one who did not talk to her preschool teachers. The entire year. She isn't talking to her classmates, she's not talking to us. And we said, why is that a problem? Yeah, but at the same time, we struggled with it, just like any parent would, like, should we be doing something? But I'll tell you now that this child has no problem talking to anybody. And I don't mean that in a way like she's so special and so different than everybody else. What I mean is she has evolved in her own time to learn how to talk to adults, to trust her instincts, to learn how to shake hands with people. But we didn't say you must do this now or else you're disappointing me. There was a natural progression. You know, just you can compare it to something as simple as when is a child ready to jump off the high dive? We may think they should be ready when they're five, but they may not be ready till they're eight. And is that okay? Or have we already decided when they should? And what if they are 22? They probably won't happen, but let's say it does. 
who cares about the high dive? Forget about the high dive. And that's the thing, you have to discern you know, what battles you're going to, and battles probably an appropriate word, but where are you going to put your energy? Yeah. You know, with school, that's a big part of who our kids are. So you can't just say, oh, go to school when you want. We have to set up boundaries, but who cares about the high dive? And I will say, like, there's so many stories in my history as a parent, like my, the same kid, she wanted to go to Disney World and she was excited to go on Pirates of the Caribbean. And then we got to Disney World and she realized that she didn't want to. And I got lost in ego. And I said to myself, we didn't drive to Florida to not go on Pirates of the Caribbean. So you're going in there. <laughs> Kathy, thankfully, kind of was my partner. And she said, wait a second, let's keep our eye on the prize, which is who cares about the stupid ride? And she didn't go on, but her own expectations so easily get in the way. And the best part about that, that same child is the one who now goes on every roller coaster you can think of. Not because of us, but because she eventually chose it. Yeah. So these are the things that are very, when we have little kids, we don't trust the process. We think that if we don't stick, you know, if we don't do something, if we don't control it, then we're going to lose control. But our children are human beings and they have intuitive guidance. Mm -hmm. So our audio is a little challenging right now, but I'm, you know, what I'm hearing you say is this idea of our baggage is, is when we're getting into fear, right? Like what you're saying is like, we need to move to a place where we're trusting our children more. And that can be hard because human beings are just kind of naturally prone to negativity, naturally prone to anxiety, and especially parents, right? We tend to worry a lot, but kind of what I'm from hearing you say is that in your journey, as you strive to not give your kids your baggage it's like kind of checking checking your fear right yes we are supported by mysteries about true histories affectionately known as math mysteries about true histories it's a weekly show full of time travel puzzles hidden equations history and lots of laughs i highly recommend this podcast it's really wonderful especially if you have kids like around like six plus, but it can totally be enjoyed by the whole family. So I listened to the episode, The Pirate Queen, and you're just dropped right in the middle of the action. People are fighting, there's sword fight. And then these kids, they've gone on a time travel mission and they have to solve problems in the midst of it. And it really just like exemplifies everything we support here at Mindful Parenting. You know, kids who are adventurous, doing things on the world, they're capable. And then they do things like they have to do math, they have to think critically, they have to code break and pattern solving and all this great stuff. Beyond just the Pirate Queen episode, which I highly recommend, episodes transport listeners to moments in history, too, like Pythagoras, Ancient Greece, the era of the Aztecs, Sir Isaac Newton's England, and more. So jump in with your family. Follow the adventures of Max and Molly on an adventure through time with puzzles and hidden equations and laughs. And it really does make learning really fun and really cool. Perfect for ages six and up. New episodes drop every Thursday, each stacked with so much laughter that your kiddos won't even realize how much they're learning. So tune into Mysteries About True Histories with your kids, and you can follow and listen on Apple Podcasts or wherever you get your pods. That's Mysteries About True Histories. I want to tell you about a great podcast that you should check out, especially if you ever deal with any school system, which you probably do. It's called Understood Explains. 
This season of the show is hosted by teacher and special education expert Juliana Ortube, and it's all about how to navigate individual education plans, also known as IEPs. And this season of Understood Explains covers topics like how to tell if your child needs an IEP and busts common myths about special education. So I checked out the episode on the difference between IEPs and 504 plans because my daughter Maggie uses a 504 plan and it was really, really helpful. It went over all the differences, which one's better, how to get them, different myths and what your rights are, all kinds of different things that you should understand if your child may need extra help in education through an IEP or a 504 plan. The tone is super helpful, friendly, and smart. I highly recommend you check it out. To listen to Understood Explains, just search for Understood Explains in your podcast app. That's it. Understood Explains. Yeah, you know, to your point, like, you know, our first, I think as human beings, over whatever millions of years of evolution, we are hardwired to see threats. And back in the old days when we had tigers chasing us, that fear helped us. But now that we don't have those types of threats in our brains or, you know, the reality of it, we instead, because this evolutionary process has taught us, oh, you need to be afraid of threats and going off high dives and Pirates of the Caribbean. Or or a child not taking a sports team or a child not saying hello to someone. Yeah, we see it as a really big deal when, in fact, if you take a few steps back and look at the situation, it really isn't nearly as big of a deal as you want. But to your point, Hunter, it's a matter of self-awareness and how do you cultivate that? And that is both an easy and also a not so easy question to answer. And it is also the, a, an evolving question and a, it's a practice because the thing that we have to remember when we're talking about self-awareness is it's not something we have and then we hold. It is something that it's like mindfulness, where we have waves of it and experiences of it that keep us awake. But a lot of times when we get into autopilot, which many do, we forget what's most important. We get pulled away and we lose the self-awareness about a situation or we don't have a wide view. We don't have a good perspective and we may not say the thing that we really mean to say or that's when a parent may yell, or that's when we say something like, you know, say something fear-based to our child or shame-based. And the key is not to then say, oh, I suck, I have no self-awareness. It's to recognize what you're doing and then to shift it, which means that may entail going back and apologizing to your child and saying, you know what I said to you this morning? That had nothing to do with you. That was really me feeling overwhelmed. Or if it doesn't necessitate an apology, meaning you didn't do anything overtly with your child, you just yourself, wow, I was really, really on autopilot the last three days. I'm going to be more conscious tonight when I'm eating dinner with everybody to really be a good listener. That's what self-awareness is. It's not, if anybody walks around saying I'm self-aware all the time, they're lying to you. That's, that's a more egoic kind of thing. Self-awareness and mindfulness is a daily moment-to-moment practice. Absolutely. Absolutely. Yeah. To be able to be able to see what we're doing and what, how we're thinking and what these reactions are. It's kind of like the difference between kind of being under a waterfall, right. And in the water versus kind of standing in front of the waterfall and seeing, seeing the water in front of you and Mm -hmm. getting that whole 
big picture, right? You're saying like, let's- That's a great image, yeah. Let's, let's look at what's going on and where is this coming from and, and how am I feeling in those moments? So you talk about on your podcast, you talk about the idea of having conversations with your kids rather than punishment. So yeah. I would love for you to talk to us about a punishment, like what is punishment useful and what is your approach as far as going towards like having conversations versus punishment? Well, this is probably the place where we get the most emails about our show, because I think there's a misperception that the idea of having conversations with our child is a way, it's a permissiveness or a having a lack of boundaries or lack of consequences. And that's not the case at all. What our bottom line is with our children, and this was at every age, even though going back to your original question about did we always parent this way, I just wanted to make one comment and say that I came from, I'm a therapist in my background, I came from a more like therapeutic behavioral management background in my work world. And so I really had to evolve that when I had my first child. I realized that wasn't really working for me. And so as I think JC got to be my 14-year-old, she's now like, you know, when she was around two or three is when I really started to realize this old pattern for me is not working. And what the new pattern was, what we do now and what we've always done is if a child is struggling with something or they're struggling with someone or they're being disrespectful to you, what they're doing is that they're communicating that something isn't working or something is off or they're feeling something that they're not able to express or they don't feel safe enough to express. Now, I think a lot of parents would agree with that. Like, I don't think there's a lot of like, oh no, that's not the case. I think what gets in the way for us is we have this belief system, especially if we were raised in a more authoritarian household where we were afraid of our parents and we kind of had the, if the parent says something, you do it. And I shouldn't have to tell you to put your shoes on twice. And I shouldn't have to explain this to you. You should just do what I say because I'm the parent. If we have that model, either in our cellular memory, meaning we grew up with it, or we kind of have it societally, like, you know, that we think that good parents are the ones who control their kids. And when our children are either angry, you know, they harm something or they do something, we think that we should exert that control or that authoritarianism. But really, that's only touching the surface of what's going on. We're not getting into why are they doing that? Why are they using those methods? Now, here's the thing. This takes time and practice. I'll just use the other night. The other night, two of my older daughters were arguing about something. They were going at it. it was, they were fighting in the hallway and, and with their words. You know, they were just, I could hear them. And I said, girls, come in here for a second. They both sat down on the bed. I said, what's going on? Each of you tell me your side. They both had valid points, but I could tell that they were really worked up. And so my job was just to kind of say, okay, I hear you. I absolutely know. I was like mediating. And then we kept going, like we kept peeling the onion. Like, well, what are you trying to say? Are you trying to say that she shares with you, but then you don't share back? I'm, I'm not going to bore you with all the details, but we sat there for a good 15 or 20 minutes and peeled this down. And it really just came to be about my older daughter misses my younger daughter. She wants to spend more time with her. That's really what it was about. So in the hallway, they're arguing about clothes. Mm -hmm. but, it's, but it's not about the clothes. And as parents, we're always trying to solve the clothes problem. That's the metaphor, right? Mm -hmm. People listening are like, yeah, but you've got a 14 and a 13 year old. I've been talking to them this way since they were very young. 
obviously I kept the language a little more basic and I didn't speak to them the way I speak to them now, like more of an adult, but it was still the, what are you feeling? Did you feel like she didn't understand you? Do you feel like this was unfair? And if you do feel like it was unfair, explain it to me. Now, here's the key. It doesn't mean I always agree with them. And it doesn't mean that they never have a consequence. It doesn't mean that everybody's happy at the end of the conversation. <laughs> exactly. But they at least feel like they were heard. And the one thing I'll say is how we choose to parent our kids is, you know, one phrase that we always find is it's about discussion and not discipline. And the reason that, and it depends on whose definition of discipline you're talking about, but we do it because it feels right. We would much rather have a longer conversation and kind of peel the onion a little bit, as opposed to the short-term quick fix where you say, go to your room and do all these other things. We do that because it feels right to us. But the research has said, I mean, we have science that backs up the way that we try our best to do it, is that the short-term punishment reward system simply does not work if you want your kids in the long term to be yeah. intrinsically yeah. motivated. You want them to be intrinsically motivated, which I think all of us human beings ought to be, because if we're only doing it for a paycheck or to be loved on Facebook, then it's going to be short-lived. But if we're doing it for the intrinsic motivation, so there's a few resources I want to give to your listeners. Jessica Leahy wrote a book called The Gift of Failure that I'm a big fan of, and then Carol Dweck wrote a book called Mindset. Mindset? Mm -hmm. And those are two wonderful resources in talking about failure, discipline, and things like that. And what it is is that what do we want to teach our kids if it's not that we want to teach them don't do things in front of me or else you're going to get in trouble which is really what a lot of parenting is is you know if you do that in front of me and i see it you're going to get in trouble but they may still do it behind your back because they don't feel internally motivated to not do it they just don't not do it in front of you or are you teaching them that no matter where I am, no matter what situation I'm in, even if my parents aren't there, I am going to make a choice that is respectful to myself and others. Will they do that perfectly? Gosh, no, because they need, like, that's why Todd loves that failure book, because they're going to have some failure in there where they have negative experiences or they do hurt people's feelings. But the goal in the long run is not to teach them to fear us. It's to stay connected to them and to remind them their own abilities, even when we're not around, because we're raising children to become adults. They're not going to stay little kids. We're raising them to become mature adults. And then the next thing I would say is that when you, some parenting is tough, and some days are good, and some days, some days are bad, where you, you reacted in a way that you're not happy with. It. When that happens, because it will happen, because it happens to everybody, including us, is do you fall into a spiral of shame and guilt that you're a bad mom or dad or do you instead know that you're going to get another chance the next day to do it better and that's uh, we're all about positive psychology and things like that like you get more from being positive than you do negative or beating yourself up yeah yeah wow that's great. everything you said in there is amazing and i love that idea of that just that reminder that you know we are raising kids to be adults and that we want them to be intrinsically motivated and really that point of view it's that long point of view and you're starting to i imagine now because your daughter's 14 now you're starting to maybe see some of the fruits of that and so so many of the parents 
I have, or teachers I have talked to who raise kids in this way, who raise kids non-punitively, raise them respectfully and use language that's respectful and, and curious and open-minded and, and all of those things. I've heard many a story of kids who are not necessarily rebelling against their parents when they're teenagers. And I'm kind of curious about what's maybe happening for you. Cause I mean, when I was 14, that's when my dad was saying, I am the parent and you are the child and you will do what I say when I say it. And I was like running away from home and living with my friends for a night because the spoon was coming at me, you know, like, you know, I'm wondering about what, are you seeing some of the fruits of this in your relationships? Oh, there's no doubt about it. And that doesn't mean our three daughters don't have challenges and come home and they're either mad at school or they're mad at classmates or they're mad at us or whatever. I mean, that happens, but I also think that we have kind of planted these seeds of, you know, respectful conversations. And what I say is the world is sometimes really hard and challenging. And all I want is for our daughters when they walk through the door to have a safe place to come home to. And that doesn't mean there's not boundaries or things like that. But I grew up in a household of some chaos and I didn't want to be at home. I want our daughters to know that when they walk in the door, they're going to be accepted and loved and they're going to be safe. And so far, it's working. That doesn't mean we got a 14-year-old and a 13-year-old, and they go through phases where absolutely are rebelling against us. And I'm actually rereading a book by Dan Siegel called Brainstorming about the teenage brain and how that's absolutely essential for our kids to start rebelling and fight and thinking their peers are more important than their parents. Like That is exactly what's supposed to be happening. So if there's anybody listening out there with teenagers and you're like, oh my God, my teenager's driving me crazy, that's exactly what's supposed to be happening. Okay, good. When Todd gives you the word rebelling, I think we get an image of what that means. And, you know, we rebelling like we're going to have a teenager yell at us or say, I hate you. That's not, our children don't do that. And not because they're afraid of us, but because what they know is that we have their back. Meaning that as my daughter, my 14 and my 13 year old are growing and they need more space from me, I'm giving it to them. I am not trying to make them be 10 years old again. And I'm not saying, hey, we used to do this every year. You need to do this with me again. When we say, hey, we were all going to go see Wonder Woman on Friday night. And my 14-year-old is like, oh my gosh, we're already doing this. We're like, okay, go ahead. Like if we had a big family event or we were going somewhere for spring break, of course that comes first. I'm not saying that it's all about them calling the shots. What I'm saying is when my children tell me I need space, I have no problem giving that to them. So what that means is a lot of the rebelling of you don't understand me, you don't get me, isn't necessary. The relationship that I have with my girls, and I know this is, may throw some of your listeners off, but I want to explain this, is more of a friendship. Now, that doesn't mean I'm not still the parent. They know I'm the mom, and I still have rules, and I still have boundaries. It's not, I'm not going to be their friend like I'm cool. But we have discussions. They're not afraid of me. They tell me what's going on in their lives, but I'm not even asking that many questions. I'm kind of, what I'm trying to show them is I'm around, but I'm recognizing that I don't need to be the hands-on parent I needed to be when you were nine. That you have a life and this is your choice. And if you need help, I'm here, but I'm not going to do it for you anymore. But if you can't do something, come to me and let's do it together. You know what, Todd's book that he just recommended, the Dan Siegel book, 
he's right. Their brain is changing. They need the space. And the rebelling is not necessarily about telling their parents they hate them. The rebelling is I need to not be 10 anymore. I need space to do different things. Like our oldest daughter just came home the other day and said, she's getting her schedule ready for her sophomore year in high school. And she said, I'm done with viola. She's been playing viola for six years. She's like, I'm ready to move on to something else. I'm going to do photography. And you know what we said? Okay, go have another adventure. So Abby, I'll give your listeners kind of a good gut check. And I still am guilty of this, but I'm getting better. When our 10-year-old gets in the car and I pick her up from school or say your kid comes from school, you know, the first thing that us parents are like, how was your day? What happened? How'd you do on this test? How are your friends? All that. Like, ask yourself, and it's hard for me to do this, but sometimes she gets in the car and I don't say anything because they've been on for seven hours. Do you have the capacity to give a little bit of space to allow them to share their experience as opposed to us overbearing parents wanting to be the perfect dad and connect with every aspect of their day when they get home from school? Sometimes it just helps when I shut up and let allow for some silence. And then all of a sudden, they'll start the conversation because I've been guilty of the other side where I'm just like badgering her with questions and she doesn't want to talk. And then all of a sudden, I'm like, oh, how come my daughter doesn't want to talk to me? It's like, well, she's been having to be in this position in school for seven hours. And now she's like in school again in the car on the ride home. So. And the bottom line, like the way that I can sum this up, everything we're trying to say with all these stories, the most important thing with our children is to have a connection and a relationship. And that evolves every year. That evolves depending on their maturity, what they need from us, what they need from us when they're three is very different from what they need from us when they're eight and when they're 14 and when they're 17. And our goal, our job as a parent, parent is to stay connected to them and make sure the relationship takes priority. And sometimes that means, as we do in our home a lot, saying no. I had one of my daughters just called me the other day and said, mom, I'm at Redbox. Can I watch Big Little Lies? She's 13 years old. I'm like, no, not yet. Give me a few years. She's like, all right. Like, it's not as if everything they want, they get. There are boundaries and they understand it, but we say yes enough. We respect them enough when they want to do things. No's are a lot better taken. Does that make sense? Say yes as often as you can. (laughs) No's more meaningful. That's that's something that I think lessons as are part of my teachers. Yeah, yes, absolutely. I'm Margaret. And I'm Amy. And together we host the podcast, What Fresh Hell? Laughing in the Face of Motherhood. Margaret, I would say you're sort of a where are my keys kind of mom. Correct. Sometimes a where are my kids kind of mom. (laughs) Well, you're Amy more of a, we were supposed to leave 35 seconds ago, mom. I mean, touche. In each episode of What Fresh Hell, we come at a topic from our usually completely opposite perspectives. I bring the research. And I bring kind of the gimlet eye. Like, is that research really going to work, people? And almost 10 million downloads later, we're still laughing. We also talk to experts in the parenting field, plus parents with stories we can all learn from. We make each other laugh, we challenge each other's assumptions, and we have what we think is the best parenting community on the internet. Check out What Fresh Hell? Laughing in the Face of Motherhood wherever you listen to podcasts. Well, hey there, Busy Mama. Are you looking for ways to make your life easier, your home less chaotic, and at the same time, add more joy to your life? My name is Deanna Yates, and I'm the host of Wanna Be Clutter Free, a podcast all about letting go of the stuff we don't need in our lives so that we can focus on what truly matters. 
don't worry, I'm not going to tell you to throw it all away or make you feel guilty about keeping something you love, no matter how many other people don't quite understand it. But I will give you practical and more importantly, actionable advice so that you can make progress right away. And you won't just hear it from me. There are amazing guests too. It's like having your bestie in your pocket, telling you it's okay to let go of the things that are not serving you and your family in a totally non-judgmental way. So join me over on the podcast where we can work on progress over perfection for those of us that want to be clutter-free. So, you know, and you guys have talked about this plenty of times, that idea of putting, investing in our relationship bank account so that when we have to withdraw, we've got some funds there, right? So, and yep, I love exactly. that idea. you know, it is, it's a relationship. And really, that's what we really need to remember that this is a relationship we're going to have for life. It's not necessarily about controlling every behavior. I think we come from such a behaviorist point of view, kind of culturally, that can be a hard shift for people to sort of shift into that mindset, which is why I think resources like your podcast are so wonderful. So I would love to shift from kind of go back in time from now you've got these 13 and 14 year old to when they're younger. So I have a lot of moms write to me and they have kids who are three and two and things like that. And they say things like, you know, I feel so frustrated and overwhelmed all the time. I get so frustrated so easily with my children and I'd like to stop yelling at my children. What do you say to to parents of younger kids who are really struggling with, like, they're just coming to this point of like, oh my gosh, I'm one gigantic button to be pushed. I'm feeling overwhelmed. I'm feeling frustrated. What do you say to these parents? Well, like you, Hunter, we get those questions all the time on the podcast. And even though I'm further away from that time, I can remember it like very, very easily because there is an isness to that time. I was just saying on yesterday's podcast that I have this picture that's framed in our family room of my, I had a four-year-old, a three-year-old, and a one-year-old on my lap. And I always look at that picture and go, how did I like, take a shower? Like, I, I don't remember how I managed the physical expectations of that time because you're doing everything for them, literally making their food, getting them somewhere. You can't leave them alone. The four-year-old may not even nap anymore. It's just, and I think if I could speak to myself at that time again, or to parents who are in that place, is first of all, an acceptance and an isness to it, that instead of beating yourself up and keep saying, I'm doing it wrong, and it must be something else I can do about this, and it shouldn't be this hard, if there is a sense of, yeah, that was tough, or today I'm tired, that it's like, yes. There's a surrender, not a surrender like there's nothing I can do about this, but a this is normal. I am in the throes of young children. And then simultaneously, when you do find yourself saying, I'm overwhelmed every day, there are some pieces you can't let go of. You have to keep feeding the kids, you have to keep putting them to bed, you have they have to keep bathing. But what are the things that you're doing that are unnecessary? What are the pieces of your life that you can maybe minimalize or the people that you can say, no, I can't meet you for a play date or I don't want to go out Friday night or, or you don't have to be a role model. Correct. You can like say, I can't volunteer. So you don't have to live on an autopilot of overwhelm. Because mom put themselves last a lot. Sometimes you can't put yourself first because you've got kids that need support and help and food and everything. But there are times when you can choose yourself over somebody else. 
and that is something <laughs> hard for a lot of moms and dads to do. I have a book suggestion hunter for your listeners. Yeah, um, there's a book called Soulful Simplicity by Courtney Carver. Oh, I'm interviewing her soon. Yeah. <laughs> oh, she's lovely. And she's keeps it's so funny that you're interviewing her because she keeps popping into my life. Like she was in a movie, she was on the Good Life Project. I've seen her. It's and so of course you're interviewing her. She's everywhere. And so her book, so you've obviously read her book and you know her story. Her biggest takeaway is you don't have to wait until you get really sick or until somebody else gives you permission, or you don't have to wait until something really goes wrong. If you feel overwhelmed, that is an indicator of, I need to maybe shift a little things or let go of a few little things so I can do this isness, this challenging time with little kids, just a little more self-aware or with a little more self-care. It doesn't mean you're not gonna get frustrated. It doesn't mean you aren't gonna have days where you're like, oh my God, you know, this is the hardest job. You wanna know why? Because it is, like acceptance. But it does change and evolve. They do grow, <laughs> it, they grow. It feels like forever, but it's true, they do. It, it, <laughs> it feels like such a long time, that longest, shortest time is such a name for that, that time. So would you say to moms, like, you should be putting yourself first? I mean, because it seems like it's so, so hard for moms to, there's such, such push in our society, that whole martyrdom thing like that. It's, it's selfish to put our, put our, to take care of our own needs and our kids must come first and all of that stuff. Like, so would you say to moms that it's important to put yourself first? Well, you have to, like, I, I kind of, when people question me on the, I can't put myself first, it doesn't make any sense to me anymore because the only way that you can take care of people is if you are okay to take care of people. Like the only way that you can raise healthy children is if they are spending time with a healthy mom. The only way, and when I say healthy, I, I'm not talking about illness necessarily, it could be, but I'm talking about someone, if you want your children to be self-aware, and they have to be recognizing your own self-awareness. If you want children to learn how to take care of themselves, they have to be watching you do it. If you want to raise children who are kind, they need to be having a relationship with you where they're experiencing kindness from you, not in a you know permissive way, but just in a respectful, responsible way. So when parents tell me, I got to put myself last, or I got to put myself first, the visual I get is a glass as somebody who is practicing self-care and self-awareness, I visualize a glass that's full of water that has the ability to give water to their children. When people tell me that, you know, because they can fill up a few other glasses of water because they're a full glass of water. The visual I get when a parent tells me they're overwhelmed and they're martyring out and they need to put themselves last, is an absolutely empty glass of water. And they keep trying to give their children water, but their children are thirsty because they're not getting it, seeing and experiencing it, they're not getting what the parent really wants for them. So self-care to me is, it, it's a, it is. I mean, you have to take care of yourself first. You have to, if you think you're going to be patient with your kids, you got to sleep a little bit. And again, I know when they're infants and they're little, that's hard. There are phases where there's some, there's some grind. You know, and I get that. But if you really want to enjoy being with your kids, then you have to be away from them sometimes. It's very paradoxical. But if you want your children to enjoy friendships, they need to see you enjoying friendships. One quick story is Kathy used to hide the fact that every, whatever, 
you know, back when our kids were younger, she'd go out with her friends every month or every two months, whatever it was. She used to be kind of, she'd hide the fact from our daughters that she was going out because she felt guilty and ashamed because she's a martyr and she wanted to be there every moment of the life of our daughter's lives. And then she a switch turned on in her head saying, no, I want to celebrate that I'm going out with my friends and I do have a life outside of my, my role as a mom. I'm a whole person. And she would bring our daughters in. And when, when she was getting ready to go out, you know, we used to sneak out. Remember we used to sneak out the house. I would. And when like we had babysitters and all that. And now we're like celebrating the fact that we do have a life without them. And I would get ready and I would have them help me get ready and I would throw my hair and they would choose my earrings and they'd say, What are you going to do tonight? And I'd say, I'm going dancing. And they're like, Who's going to be there? And it became a celebration with my children. And then they'd be like, I have a good time. And the next day they'd be like, Tell me all about it. So instead of hiding from them that I actually have a whole life, I celebrated it with them. And here's what we need to understand as parents that is a gift to them because it is not my children's job to make me happy. They, this is self-care. I take care of myself so they can take care of themselves. And that's a huge lesson that sometimes takes a long time to learn in parenting. I love that. Amen. It is not your children's job to make you happy. That's really beautiful because we tend to put too much pressure on our children to be everything for us and we need to have our own lives. Yes. Amen. (laughs) (laughs) So I'm really excited to come to your Zen Parenting Radio Conference. We've been, there's been a lot of talk about, I think now this idea of getting together in person just has so much power. It's something that I've been doing is putting on retreats and getting together in person. And I'll be seeing you in Chicago. You're putting on your third Zen Parenting Radio Conference. You want to tell people about where they can learn about it? Yeah, we can go to Zen, what's the website? It's actually zenparentingconference.com, or you can go to zenparentingradio.com, and you can find it there, too. But zenparentingconference.com is where all the conference information is. And it's a two-day event, Friday, March 2nd, Saturday, March 3rd. Along with Kathy and I, we have five other speakers. The keynotes are Cheryl Strayed, the lady who wrote the book Wild an amazing and her dear sugar podcast and tiny beautiful things and brave enough her great book there is a man by the name of mike domish who wrote a book called can i kiss you and he runs an organization called the date safe project it's all about consent and both teenage and adult sexuality he does his best to communicate a message of maybe removing or at least alleviating some of the awkwardness that we sometimes have when talking our kids about sex because it's such a hugely important topic and then we have a singer songwriter and women's advocate yeah well, her name is milk and she's the woman who wrote and sang i can't keep quiet at the women's march and she's been everywhere lately because she's just her new album just dropped and she's been on all the tv shows and she's not only going to perform for us but she has a story of how she got to i can't keep quiet and why she decided to start speaking up so she's definitely a very timely speaker. And then, of course, on Friday night, Todd and I speak along with our really good friends, uh, John Duffy, Dr. John Duffy, and Annie Burnside, who are not only good friends, but are really wise teachers and authors, and our audience always loves hearing them. So we're really excited. It's going to be off the hook. So, so if you're listening to this when it first comes out, come and meet us there. Come and find me there. 
and I'll be just in the audience enjoying it. If you're listening in the future, just check in. Maybe there'll be another one happening. Whatever. Oh, and, and Hunter, we and Hunter, we could give like a coupon code. We'll just call it Hunter, and it'll be twenty five bucks off of the conference for your listeners. If anybody wants to join us, that might help a little bit. So. Awesome. We'll take it. We'll take it. That sounds great. Todd and Kathy, I, I appreciate you taking the time. I really appreciate your honesty and your wisdom and your realness about parenting, about how difficult it is, about how joyful it is. And I even appreciate your movie clips. And <laughs> I think that what you're doing, just taking this and starting this conversation, continuing this conversation that's so needed, incredible ripple effects around the world. So I, I just want to say how much I appreciate your work and taking the time to come onto the podcast with us today. Well, thank you. We're happy to be here and we appreciate your work too, Hunter. So thank you. I feel like we're all in this together. Thank you. Thanks so much for listening. Don't you love Todd and Kathy? I love what they have to say. I love the whole idea that it is not your child's job to make you happy. I mean, that's pretty eye-opening, isn't it? And the idea of discussion and not passing your baggage down. I mean, what they have to say is just so much wisdom and so much value. So I hope that you have gotten a lot out of it. And when I think about Todd and Kathy and what they teach in their podcast and at their conference, is that they teach this, you know, what we should do, you know, what we can do to make our parenting better, to not pass down this baggage. And what I think about that is that mindful parenting is the how. When I was actually developing the mindful parenting course, I was really struggling and I was listening to Todd and Kathy and I really had to, for me, I needed more concrete tools. I needed to know, how do I practice mindfulness? How do I make mindfulness a habit in my everyday life? How do I change my inner self-talk? And in Mindful Parenting, we go over that. Like We give you tools to do exactly how to do that. And we also give you the tools and exactly how to talk so that your kids will listen to you and they'll be less resistant. I find that oftentimes... You know, we talk about that need to pause, but then what do you say? I mean, for me anyway, I didn't have the background of being a therapist and I didn't have the, I had the background of some unskillful language. So I had to learn how to talk. And that's what we teach in mindful parenting, both the how to reduce your reactivity, change your inner self-talk, and then how to change the way you talk to your kids. So it's the how. But we are going to be doing a live free training and that is at you can sign up for that at mindfulparentingcourse.com slash free training. And during the free live training, you're going to learn why your kids don't listen to you and the parenting truth that every pediatrician gets wrong and how to create cooperative kids without losing your temper. Pretty cool, right? You should totally join us. It's going to be really fun. It's going to be a lot of mamas. It'll be a blast. So I hope you'll be there with us. And if you like the episode, or subscribe and leave a rating. You can always send me any questions or if you have some guest ideas you can send them to me hunter at mindfulmamamentor.com and i can't wait to see you soon in the free live training mindfulparentingcourse.com slash free training and i'm wishing you a peaceful week i hope this podcast will help make it a better one sending you lots of love namaste are you frustrated with parenting 
Do you want to practice conscious, compassionate parenting, but you don't know how? It's not easy, and there's no roadmap for this. Until now. I'm Hunter Clark Fields, creator of the Mindful Parenting course, and I know how frustrating it is because I've been there. I struggled as a young mom, and when I found myself yelling and triggered by my child, I knew there had to be a better way. And there is. Mindful parenting is different from other parenting trainings. They don't tell you that all that good advice is as good as useless when our internal stress response is triggered. Mindful Parenting teaches you research-based tools and practices to reduce your stress response so that you can respond rather than react. And it teaches you exactly what to say that, so that you can create willing cooperation from your child. You can learn more and enroll at mindfulparentingcourse.com. And you can join us for a free live training where you'll learn why your kids don't listen to you, what punishment really teaches, the parenting truth that every pediatrician gets wrong, and the hidden myth that undermines your parenting. Sign up now at mindfulparentingcourse.com slash free training. That's mindfulparentingcourse.com slash free training. I'll see you there. No one told us the truth about parenthood. Why? This is the podcast everyone needed before they had kids because now that those little ones are here, whew, there is a lot to unpack. I'm Rachel Shepardota, and I am your host for the podcast, No One Told Us, where we tell the truth about parenting and let you in on all the stuff you really should have known about before having kids. I am the founder of Hey Sleepy Baby, but this podcast is so much more than sleep. We'll be diving into all the topics that you really care about and need to know while you do your best job raising those adorable, tidy humans. Our goal is to just make you feel less alone and less overwhelmed. There are so many things that no one tells us before becoming a parent, and I think that we should really pull back the curtain on becoming a first-time or second-time mom or dad to share the good, the bad, and the ugly. We'll have a little education, a little fun, and a whole lot of heart that goes into each and every episode. So join me and our amazing guests each week to hear us talk about what no one told us.